Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Profit Minds podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Kirch, creator of the Profit Minds Growth System, a unique blend of profit growth, productivity acceleration, and building robust business process for scale. In every episode, I interview entrepreneurs and small business owners from around the world with a unique story to tell. You can find the show on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. Hi, everyone. Today, my guest is Dr. Fred Moss, a recovering psychiatrist for over 30 years, founder of the Welcome to Humanity movement and the True Voice podcasting mastermind. Today, we'll be talking about transforming the narrative around mental health and mental illness on a global scale. Welcome, Dr. Fred. Thanks, Steve. It's great to have you. Uh, it's great to be a guest on your show. Thanks for having me today. Yeah. So you, all of my listeners know that the first question that I ask, because everybody's got such an interesting story, is... Mm -hmm. How did you get to be where you are? Tell yeah, us. Tell us. It's a great story. And don't be worried, but I'm going to start from the day I was born. And the day I was born, I was born to a family in chaos and disarray. I had two older brothers, 10 and 14 years older than me. And um, they were there with my parents. And I heard later on that my whole job was to bring joy and communication to this disarrayed family. And that's what I did. I came out as a bundle of joy and you know, was soon taught how to be very precocious. I um, knew how to read a little bit, knew how to do math before I started in kindergarten and knew how to write. And so I was ahead of my class in a lot of ways. But the thing I remember being so enchanted with was communication. Now, I remember I actually have, you know, vivid memories of being in my playpen with my little fingers around those little poles and watching those adults speak to each other and knowing that that's what I wanted to do someday. And I could tell that that was where the magic of the world actually emanated from. And I really wanted to do that so much that there is no elementary school student, I mean, teacher who has ever forgotten having Fred in their class, for sure. <laughs> because I was very talkative and being very precocious, I was the top of the class. So there was this combination of being sort of the smartest in the class and the biggest pain in the neck in the class at the same time. And I went through school looking to learn how to communicate. I had thought that that would happen in school. But of course, in school, what really ends up happening is you get constricted and constrained from open communication and told to be quiet, sit down, listen, and shut up. And that's what was happened in elementary school. So I began to dream that someday maybe the big kids would teach me how to talk. And that would happen in junior high. But of course, in junior high, that was even worse. And then in high school, it got even worse. And now I was pretty much chained to my chair if I was going to be in school. And open discourse was the last thing that was encouraged. At the end of high school, I decided that it was more likely than not going to be college. Free speech was a thing in the college era, era that day, those days. And so because I loved their helmets and they were only 40 miles away, I went to the University of Michigan. And uh, I began school there hoping to learn how to communicate and, in fact, did learn how to communicate, but mostly in Ann Arbor, not at the University of Michigan. And I landed there and did what I had to do. And I ended up dropping out because what I really wanted to learn was communication. And instead, I ended up um, uh, taking a bus all the way to Berkeley, California, where I could find myself, which, again, that summer I did find myself, but it wasn't going to be 
a sustainable lifestyle. So I was encouraged to come back and study one more time by my family who told me that there was this new industry that was going to have a big future that I could probably be good at. And that industry, there happened to be, it was computers. And there was only one computer in the state of Michigan worth itself at all. And that was on the campus at the University of Michigan. So back to Michigan, I went to study computers. I lasted only for another term or two, and I was out again. And this time went back to California one more time. And my mom encouraged me to come back and get a job. So we got a job. We, she got me an application for um, becoming a child care worker at a state mental health facility out in uh, the suburbs of Detroit. And that's where I really began my mental health career was there. It was there that I began to really underline and really emphasize and amplify the fact that communication is what we're all after. Open communication, getting the, getting the world of another person, connection with another person was where all healing emanated from. And these children, only seven or eight years younger than me, were teaching me at the same time I was teaching them what healing was all about. I adored that job. I was there for a while. The thing I disliked about that job more than anything was psychiatry. And I just really couldn't stand that psychiatry would, was so flippant in a lot of ways. We would call them if Gianni was up too late or Timmy and Tony had gotten a fight. And they would come down and talk to the child for like three seconds and then talk to us for seven seconds and go write something in the chart. And then we'd have to go retrieve the kid and hold them down in the quiet room and, you know, yank down their sweatsuit a little bit so that we could give them an injection of some adult-grade um, sedative cocktail. And that, by the way, is still going on every single day in the hospitals in the United States of America. This is not antiquated. This is actually what's happening everywhere. I couldn't stand that, and I couldn't stand being a part of that. So I decided to take the bull by the horns and go back to school a third time, this time to become a psychiatrist who could emphasize communication at the heart of all the matters. And my brother was already a psychiatrist, my brother, 14 years, my senior. So I knew that it could happen. And I went back and I finished school in Detroit at uh, Wayne State University and eventually went to Northwestern University and got my medical degree and then eventually got my residency and my child and adolescent fellowship. And there I was as a psychiatrist. And that's, you know, sort of how it went. But the thing was, while I was in training, there was a paradigm shift that took place in the background. Prozac was introduced to the world while I was in training, and that altered the entire direction of, of psychiatry for the future. And you may recall that those were some really wild days when Prozac was initiated. There was some you know, fantasy that the government had about putting Prozac in the water system of Los Angeles and New York. It's probably the panacea anything that made you uncomfortable, as if being uncomfortable was an illness. That's a problem. Why is that a problem? It, well, at the time, that was what the issue was, is that, you know, somehow uncomfortable is what got eventually equated to having a mental illness. If you're feeling uncomfortable, there's something wrong with you. That's how that's what those days were all about. Hmm. And that's what anxiety is now. That's what depression is now. That's what fear and is now. That's what you know, that we now often blame the person for having experiences that are outside the norm of comfort for being dysfunctional or out of balance. And we think that they need medication because there's something wrong with them. We'll get to that in a bit. Over the next several years, you could hear that I ended up having to diagnose literally tens of thousands of people and medicate. I've written over 100,000 prescriptions in my career 
And each one of them has been sort of a heartache, sort of a soul sacrifice for me, because that's never been exactly what I knew to be the best form of, of healing, which I already said is in the form of communication. I did that for about 15 years. And then in 2006, began to do something which was very radical. And that was to take people off their medicine. I took my high risk patients off of their medicine. And lo and behold, they got better, way better, predictably better. And in many cases, lost their diagnosis altogether, just as a function of losing their medicine. So I began to see that the medications perpetuated the symptoms they were marketed to treat, and that the diagnosis itself was there to actually do that same process. Linked with the medication, the perpetuation of the conditions is what was really after, is what the industry was really after. There's no real sign of curing inside of mental illness. And the doctors are never taught how to discontinue medication. We are really just taught how to add, increase, or change medicine. And there's never a great reason to truly discontinue medicine. If things get worse, we add, change, or increase. If things get better, we actually you know, stay on the same. Why would you change something that's not broken? And we never really get to the algorithm of getting someone off their diagnosis or off their medicine. So this happened in 2006, and this awareness, this epiphany was very large for me. When I began to learn that, I wanted to shake, you know, I wanted to shake everybody. I wanted to get violent about it. And in fact, I got, wanted to go to the top of the mountains and just scream. But that really was, I learned fairly quickly that that wasn't the best way to get this communication out there, that I needed to calm down, get conversational, get to the point where I could speak, you know, openly and honestly without being crazy about it. And um, so that the industry would accept me, so my peers would accept me, and really so my patients and families would accept me as well for what I was saying. I eventually was able to tone it down enough so that you can see me now actually being able to do this in a, you know, in a manner, mannerful way. But over the next several years, I changed my, you know, I took so many people off of medicine and off their diagnosis, eventually closing my practice in Cincinnati and beginning to do work around the world. I made it my business to go see how psychiatry was delivered in multiple different countries and multiple different states in this union as well. And I really learned that it's not, there is no real definition of what mental illness is. Where it's actually a cultural phenomena or a local phenomena. It's a phenomena that is um, you know, more based on the situation. So what looks like depression in Texas may not look like depression in Reykjavik or may not look like a you know depression in Tibet. Whereas a, if you have a broken arm, it's going to be a broken arm in Singapore. It's going to be a broken arm in London. It's going to be a broken arm wherever you are. Psychiatry and mental health, it's more um, based on uh, circumstances more than anything, and frankly, more based on the beholder, the diagnoser, who is the one who's determining whether or not you're out of the bounds with respect to your mental health presentation. Learning this has left me with a couple different changes in my life, as you can imagine, and one of them was to uh, create a business to kind of walk out of conventional psychiatry and start looking at entrepreneurial opportunities. I began to be a restorative, transformational coach, taking people off of medicine. But that wasn't enough, Steve, because if people thought that they were sick, if taking them off of medicine would only have them wonder what, did they, what else did they need to take if it wasn't going to be these medicine because they felt they were sick. So we had to go to undiagnosing, basically getting people to get that maybe there's nothing wrong with them being confused in a confusing world or being depressed in a depressing world or being terrified in a frightening world. 
Like maybe it's okay to be uncomfortable, as you mentioned before. Maybe it's really okay. In fact, maybe that central, you know, human condition. Once we can get that, where people start thinking that, you know, I thought I was sick, but I'm not, then there's no longer anything to treat. And without anything to treat, no one is eager to take any medicine for anything. We start getting this welcome to humanity concept, which was the name of the company that I formed and is self-explanatory to some sense. Like any and all things that come with this human um, experience are meant to be exactly as they are, even if they're ridiculous and unacceptable and unspeakable and heinous and barbaric, and which we've all seen versions of that in this lifetime. It's okay. It's part of being human. And there may be nothing wrong with you having difficulty actually metabolizing those things. That might just be central to your humanity, which again, does some serious damage to what one thinks mental illness is. There's no longer a firm definition of what mental illness is. And without a firm definition, you could say it doesn't exist. If in fact changes depending on where you are in the world, it's not a real definition. And because of that, since there's no definition, it certainly is ripe for transformation of the narrative. And that's what we're talking about today is transforming the narrative of mental illness on a global scale. And what we can do with the new introduction, there are some new kids on the block that are absolutely contributing to the baseline understanding of what mental health and mental illness are. You might know both of these things. There's at least two of them and they're major. One of them is the the, it, you know, the new explosion of psychedelics being used to alter the mind frame of what it means to be a baseline human and the multidimensionality of all the different things, life and death, eternity, divinity, infinity, all those things that are being delivered into many people's mindsets and, and worldviews. The other is even bigger than psychedelics, believe it or not, and changing from the framework of what it means to be human. And that is this recent you know, infusion of AI into our world, certainly altering from the baseline up what it means to be a human since we are about to be, if we're not already, the second most intelligent uh, sentient being on the planet. And in order to really understand that we have all the information available that's ever been created in humanity one click away from us, it alters the whole sense of what humanity and what a normal human is and it's about to be dictated by, if we don't watch out, AI, which will make that, which will gladly become the new default for what it means to be mentally ill and mentally mentally healthy. And we got to be very careful about how the in you know the impact that AI has on mental health, and in turn that mental health has on AI. But we can talk about that more if you choose later in this conversation. There you go. That's how I got to be me. Wow, <laughs> that's a. That's quite a story, Dr. Fred. Thank um, you. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. I, I want to pick up on a couple of things. Yeah. Um, this, this whole idea of um, being comfortable with our uncomfortableness. Yes, exactly. Um, I, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. How, how do you talk to people about learning how to be uncomfortable in the moment and recognizing that that's perfectly normal? Yeah. Well, it is perfectly normal. That's the thing. Of course it's not, it is. It, that's, and we all know that, including the people who are uncomfortable. It's not very hard to convince people about that. In fact, the other thing is that each and every one of us is fairly committed to thinking that there's something wrong with us. Well, so, so and, 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 and I think, 
I think that goes back to the, you know the primitive brain that we have. We really need to feel a part of the group. And if right. we think we feel different than the rest of the group, then there has to be something wrong with me. Right. Right. That's, and that's the sort of instinctive, I, I think maybe you, you're, you're the doctor, you tell me, well, but I, I think, think the, that's the point the... here is that the, the, you know, classic flaw of course, is that we're comparing our insides with everybody's outsides. And we're yes. determining when I look at you, it looks to me like you got your whole life put together. Now of you'd course. be like, Oh, okay, Fred. Sure. Yeah, no, sure. really. Like, you... <laughs> it's like, that's a, let's thing. have a contest. <laughs> and, and, but well, that's what we do is we think that every, including like that social media, you know, creates a mockery. Well, it makes of it huge. Yeah. Hugely. Because, because people are showing photographs or stories that are at their very best and they've been edited and, and, you know, whitewashed and sideswiped and all that whole thing. And, um, uh, you know, the, the, so we get to see, we're seeing, we're seeing flawed presentations of what humanity really is. Number one. And then we're not flawed, but distorted. Distorted is a better way to say it. exactly. And, and, um, and then we compare ourselves to that. We must be missing out or we must be less than, or we must be defective or deficient or afflicted or something. And then we go to the doctor. The other thing is Steve, is we really want to lose our responsibility. We're really, really interested in relinquishing the responsibility for the parts of our life that aren't going as well as we wish. So when I yell at my wife, if you can tell me that's because I have a condition and not because I'm a jerk, I'm really interested about that. I really want to learn <laughs> that I, then I that's can That's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, 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 I love that. I, I'm going to have to pull out that quote, right? Yeah. Yeah, feel free. I, I really, I really want, I really want my doctor to tell me that I'm yell at my wife because I'm, because I'm, you know, something wrong with me as opposed exactly. to the fact that I'm a jerk. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and so there is, you know, the uh, psychiatry is one of the only subspecialties, if not the only subspecialty, that when a client comes in to get evaluated, if you tell them they're okay, they get furious. Almost every other subspecialty, if you come in, you want to hear that you're okay. In psychiatry, you want to hear what's wrong with you. You want a confirmation that there's something here that can explain the parts of your life that you're not taking care of very well. Yeah, that 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 somehow are 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 uncomfortable or or exactly. you're dissatisfied. With, exactly. Right? Yeah. No, I that, that I've never thought about it that way, but you're absolutely correct. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we go to go to see a a, a you know a cardiologist, physical, a physical doctor, as yeah. opposed to a mental doctor, we want them to tell us that we're fine. Yeah. In psychiatry, right. if I've tell people that they're fine, they just tell me I'm a quack and they want to go next door and get an, <laughs> go get see somebody else person. until they get somebody who will tell them that somebody there's something who wrong. Tell them they're not yeah. fine. Exactly. Yeah. You know, oh, and wow. there's, so it also serves a purpose from them. You know, I said, it's more in the eyes of the beholder, right? The diagnosis is more it's more a function of what the diagnostician sees as being normal in their world. If you fall outside of their world, that's when you'll get your diagnosis. Or if you fall inside of a preconceived set of symptoms, or a preconceived set of right, complaints, sure. I should say. Yeah. If I say I have racing thoughts, you're going to jump to, oh, he's got bipolar. If I say that I'm not completing tasks, you're going to jump to, oh, he's got ADHD. If I say I'm having trouble in public, you're going to think I have social anxiety. If I say I'm not good with social cues, you might say I'm on the spectrum. Whatever you got to say, you're either being hit with a, you know, with a um, 
you know, with a buzzword or it's outside your range of what you think normal is. That person is weird. Therefore, we're going to give them some weird diagnosis. So, so I, I, I want to switch gears here. So I love the way this conversation is going. Sure. I want to talk a little bit about how you use communication to heal, because again, you started with that at the very mm -hmm. beginning of your life. And I think right. that's terrific that you see that thread running through your entire existence. Right. Um, talk to me about, about, about that and, and, and how you, you know, the, the sort of welcome to humanity movement, which I'm assuming is, is a piece of that as well as the, the true voice podcasting. Exactly. Um, yeah. Talk, and talk to me about using communication for healing. Yeah, I'm a podcaster. I'm an avid podcaster myself. I have a couple different, I've actually three running podcasts at this point with welcome to humanity, insanity, two words, and also um, the healthy healer. So, and, and I like being on, I like being guests on shows as well. I, I, this is really where my, you know, I'm in my element when I'm a guest on a show and that's, you know, that just comes. So thank you for putting me in my element today. The idea is, is that I have learned over time, something that I knew when I was three inside of that playpen. And that is, I want nothing more than to be seen and heard for who I really am. I want nothing more than to be connected with the human race at some level. And I believe and have learned in my travels around the world and around the country that 8 billion people want the same thing. That's no matter who you are. 100% no of them. 100% of them. Exactly. No matter who you are, what you stand for, what you, what you agree to, what you, um, you know, what your opinion is about X, Y, or Z, about politics or about global warming or about slavery or about whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. What you really want is to be heard and, and seen for who you are and respected and connected to for that person. And you want to be able to have an interchange and be connected to humanity at some level. Now, some people say, well, what about what about Jeffrey Dahmer or what about Charles Manson? It's like, I'm not talking about those two guys. That's not what I'm really saying. I'm not saying, you know, and in fact, you could make a strong case for what they really wanted more than anything was to be connected to humanity, for sure. To be heard to be heard and seen for who they are. Exactly. And, 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 you know, it's true with Saddam Hussein. It's true with anything. And you name it. It's true with, you know, Putin, whatever. It's true with all of it, all of us. So all that's really here to be had is to get this point across inside of my conversations with my clients or my coaching clients or my patients or my colleagues or my friends or my family or my strangers or my readers, or my listeners, or all the people that I have any communication with, and we get to at least shuffle the deck a little bit. We get to shake the tree just a little bit on what it really means to be a human being, what it really means to be a healthy human being. Can you give yourself acceptance, forgiveness, and compassion for being disturbed in an extraordinarily disturbing world? Can you do that? Are you willing to see that it's not your problem that you're disturbed in a beyond belief disturbing world? Can you see that the challenges, the obstacles, the hurdles that we all face are so massive and unpredicted that there is no way that you've ever could consider yourself prepared to deal with them? And that anyone who's dealing with them and you know pretending to have it bulled by the horns doesn't either. That's just their front. I mean, you can't. It's not possible. So when we can share that as a team with each other, the possibility of listening and communicating with anyone saying anything, including adversaries, 
anyone who has anything to say about whatever is there becomes very real. I can listen to anybody. Do you see that that's possible? There's no danger in listening to anybody. I'm not that great at it, Steve. I'm just saying it's conceivable that I could do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this is this is really terrific. Uh, I love the fact that, you know, people just want to be seen and heard for who they are. That's it, Steve. You can't say it cleaner than that. Wow. You already knew so that. If, you so, see, you already so, knew that. That's not journal. Yeah. That didn't come from the American Psychiatric Journal. That came from yeah. just being a human. Yeah. And it's wonderful that you're able to connect people like that. So if one, somebody wants to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out? I think the best way to get me is uh, on my uh, 360 site. I have a drfred360.com, drfred360.com. You get a little bit of all of me on that site. It's a very cool site. My welcometohumanity.net website is another place where you can see where I've been. It's been along, been around longer than the 360 site. That's another place. And both of those places offer an opportunity to reach out and connect with me. And for your listeners, I'll be glad to give a 20 to 30 minute um, discovery call as part of my package for being here today and for going this far into this conversation. And if you're curious, I think I've, you know, if we can see whether we connect or if we don't connect, I certainly can send your listeners in the proper direction to get what they're looking for. Well, thank you. Is there, is there a specific way they should reach out uh, to get the, that offer? That's very generous. Button, the contact button on drfred360.com is a great way, or they can reach out to me on either, you know, there's Facebook and LinkedIn, of course, and there's uh, Dr. Fred at welcometohumanity.net is my mail. And that's a, that's the simplest way to get a hold of me, I suppose. Super. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. And that concludes our show. So thanks to our my guest, Dr. Fred Moss, the founder of the Welcome to Humanity movement. I hope you've learned something about the dialogue around mental health and how we need to change the language and the thinking on a global scale. I know I did. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Profit Minds podcast. This is your host, Dr. Stephen Kirch. Please visit www.profitminds.net for other episodes or to contact me. Thank you for your positive feedback, comments, questions, and for sharing this show with others. Thanks for listening. Have a grateful day.